0: All right, Zig coming in at the top. Today on the show we have Brenda Salter, bass player to the band The Feelies and singer-songwriter in Wild Carnation, as well as bass player in Speed the Plow and The Tripes. If for some reason you are unaware of any of those bands, do yourself a favor and dive in. Definitely The Feelies is a great start and Wild Carnation is a great second and definitely don't pass up on The Tripes. Uh, Getting ready to talk with Brenda, I realized, because I talked with uh, The Tripes when they did their re-release, um, and the scene that all these bands came from was so immersive with each other, it's really hard to follow a narrative of a through line, um, I talked with John and Tony Baumgartner of this, uh, of the Tripes, um, probably about a year ago, and if you want more context on this story from a different point of view, definitely check out my interview with the Tripes, um, but Because Brenda started with them before she got into the Feelys. And they, it's such an interesting narrative because so many bands come from scenes, but not so many scenes are the bands in a way. Like, all the Feelys members and Tripes members were mingling together in other projects like the Willies. But I digress. We're here to talk about Wild Carnation. This is what Brenda did after the Feelys. Um, Delmore Recording Society is releasing a re-release of Tricycle, Wild Carnation's first record, April 22nd, Record Store Day. You can get a rad Record Store Day version uh, and on all streaming platforms. Um, The the re-release features a live concert from Germany, um, 1997, as well as all the original demos, And there's some rad covers in that live concert. If you have yet to hear Tricycle, it's an incredible record. So to get the insights and get the live insights of how this band worked is really cool. Um, We're going to listen to a track. This is Rising Tide, the first track off the record. Um, Wild Carnations, Tricycle, Rising Tide, Digging. Incarnation, Rising Tides is the tune, Tricycle's the record, available now, um, re-release, definitely don't pass on it, a lot of cool stuff packed within it, and our conversation was pre-packed. Brenda's got a, a dense history, especially with how much the Feelies did, so we're going to get right into this, but before we do, if you guys can like, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast and any of the podcast platforms, it helps me keep talking with cool guests like Brenda and sharing their insights with you. So without further ado, here's our conversation. Um, the start off, I guess. how was the gig? You guys were in Boston yesterday?
1: Yeah, so that was the the Feelies doing uh, two shows in Massachusetts. Um, last night was Amherst, and the night before was Cambridge. So yeah, really good, um, really wonderful audiences. Um, both shows were sold out. So it was really nice to come to a a gig like that, knowing that, you know people, were really anticipating and uh you know we're there were just so many people there Make, makes you feel good well yeah i
0: mean like that, that's yeah. the that's the that's the whole thing we're yeah. chasing is that the big shows like that when they all pan out and everyone's into it was it just mm-hmm. you guys or did you guys have support it's just us um
1: since 2008 uh, most of our shows are an evening with so we do a set Um, take a break and then do a second set Um, there are exceptions like um, when we do a a festival Uh, we've done pitchfork Um, we've done um, the Wilco one I'm blanking it was in 2019
0: that either Uh, way that's yeah that's cool I I um I, uh, I, it was the it was I watched a, a documentary on the band morphine and they were one of the first bands that were like in my to my perspective they're like we don't do any support acts we are they were like we headline everything we do and like that's that's how mm-hmm. we're gonna pre- b- like build present ourselves and I was like right hey. you know because like well, sorry
1: yeah uh, well one of the reasons is you know you have a lot of material and how are you going to you know, present it all, or right. as much as you like, if you're limited to one set, you know, I, I get the festival thing, which, um, so the Wilco festival is the solid sound festival.
0: Ah, we got it.
1: <laughs> and that's, it typically happens, uh, every other year. Um, but yeah, so if you're, if you're only able to do an hour, you know, we, we call it like a festival set where you, you kind of take your greatest hits, and and play those but an evening with allows you to expand more and um, and the sets typically um, start out quieter and just build in intensity and and volume so so the sonic thing just kind of gradually builds and um, earlier on the first set would typically be quiet not quiet but like less intense songs and then the second set would be the more intense faster songs but then over the years it's changed so so that each set builds up um so we start with here before which is a quiet song and then by the end of the first set it's loveless love which is a pretty intense song um and then the second set will start a little bit louder than the first set and then it builds up to um raised eyebrows and crazy rhythms so there's sort of a formula to it you know you don't um although it is it does work to give the ears a break to you know to build up and then maybe quiet down but in general the the you know the 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 frenzy kind of builds throughout
0: the set because i I noticed that going through like the feelies records is there's that same kind of like um, dynamic, I would call it like a, a musical dynamic kind of roller coaster of waves like that. So like, right. And with all the records you guys have now, to like fashion a show like that, I think that's like a the best kind of way to encompass the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Did yeah I, yeah um was uh, the Peanut Gallery the the music showcase was that your first Feelies gig? It was that was
1: that was actually my first tripes gig. So before I was a feelie, I was in the tripes. Um, I met the whole Heldon family through a a friend. I was going to art school and um, uh, met a woman named Nicole, and she she was the one who actually turned me on to the um, the feelies, the tripes, the whole Heldon scene. Um and so it, it's kind of a long story, but I did have the opportunity to sit in with them at the Peanut Gallery with with the Tripes and um, and just, you know, obviously loved it. And um, so I would go see them. I would bring friends sometimes and go see the Tripes whenever they played and also saw, well, the Phillies weren't playing that much that year. Um, and I, I don't want to give the, the wrong history, but there were sporadic shows in the early 80s as far as the Feelies, And that was before my time um, with them. Uh, so, yeah, so I played, um, I had the opportunity to play with the Tripes at the Peanut Gallery. And then after, you know, still following them, seeing shows, I, I just worked up the courage to ask John Baumgartner, the you know, the songwriter of the group. Um, if they ever wanted a permanent bass player, I'd love to play. And and that was all I said. And um, and then a couple months later, I got a phone call that they were um, that would I want to join. Um, so at, at that point, the tripes um, there when I joined, there was a change in um the personnel. So I remember going to the first rehearsal as a as a tripe and um, uh, Bill Million was on percussion and Stan Domeski was on drums. And the last time I'd seen the group, Glenn was, Glenn Mercer was on drums. Um, they had a lead singer, L. Bruce, um, Mark Francie on guitar uh, John Baumgartner on keyboards and uh, Tony Baumgartner um, playing flute and doing uh, doing some vocals. So it was mainly a, a, a lead singer, L. Bruce. Um, you know, who well he was the the main singer. Um, so when I arrived, I was kind of wondering, well, where's where's L. Bruce and you know who's this guy on the drums <laughs> not you know yeah it was the first time i had met stan um because again the, when i went to see the tripes it was a different lineup and and now i i realized oh okay this is a new lineup
0: because trying to trace like i talked with uh john and tony when the, they put out the uh, music for our neighbors remake a remaster and like yeah. um uh, the the scene seems to to meld together in a bunch of different projects in a really beautiful way, and like, so when you, you were were you going for music in art college or was it a different medium?
1: Uh, no, it was it was just art. Okay. Um, but music had always been there. Um, actually, throughout my life, music and art have traded positions as far as a livelihood. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I've been kind of blessed to be able to, to do that. Uh, yeah. So music, I was just, I just, you know, obviously loved music and, um, had been in some bands that were trying to get off the ground. And, um, so that, that's when I, um, found out about the, the tribes and the whole held and And in fact, it was that, Maxwell's um I believe it was 1981. Um I do have some things written down. Uh I don't have that written down here. I think it was 81. Went to see um the bongos and the tripes at Maxwell's with this with this friend from art school. And that just changed my world. It it literally changed my life. And I just I it was like um, being in, I was introduced to a scene that I had never been a I, I just never seen anything like this before. Um, when I would go to clubs, it would be to watch basically cover bands and just learn from how they play. You know, I'd I'd watch the bass player and the drummer and just you know try to figure out what they were doing. You know, if it if it worked well, if it didn't work well. Um, and this was the first time of, of finding a scene where it was all original music, you know, um, so it was really an eye-opening experience. And then I just, I just fell in love with it, that the the sound and just the whole idea of, wow, original music, you know, in this really cool club.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's, when I listen to all the bands that kind of come from, like, there's this freeness to the feelies and to the tripes and and like uh, speed the plow. There's like this the uh, um in coming from like the the other scene in which it's all like kind of calculated and you're learning and you're judged on how well you execute a Led Zeppelin cover or whatever, which is mm-hmm. which is its right. own feat, you know, and that's its own art form. But yes, to be able to dabble and make mistakes and learn and the everything shift with it, like. That's that's art. That's jazz. That's coming into like, trying to find that thing, and that's so cool. That like, like as you're as you're going for art and trying to make the was it a, um as you're going for art and and trying to make the music work that you found the bubble in which that kind of like grows, um was yeah. it always bass,
1: no um, no okay. well going going way back it was um some violin I think violin was first. My, my aunt, um, she's retired now, but she was a music teacher. And so I remember going, like, one of my brothers and I would go for violin lessons. Uh, I'm guessing I was around seven, maybe, or maybe a little younger, some, somewhere around six or seven. And then, so I have three older brothers, and they all took accordion lessons. You know, as they get old enough, yeah. you went for accordion <laughs> lessons. And accordions are so cool. I they know are. they get a they get a bad rap, but they are amazing instruments and not easy to play. Um, so, uh, uh, so the three older brothers got accordion lessons, and I'm not sure why I went for piano. I don't recall if I said I want to learn piano, or you know, back then maybe girls weren't supposed to play accordions. I don't, I don't know the the backstory, but. Um, so I started taking piano lessons with the same teacher and, um, we did, we did that for years. And then, um, in fifth grade, my, um, my main teacher, um, was giving guitar lessons that she mentioned it in class. And I asked my parents and they said, yes. So I started taking guitar in, um, in fifth grade. And what I learned, I, I didn't learn lead guitar. It was it was basically chords and singing. So I learned um, Bob Dylan songs, Joan Baez, a, um, a lot of protest songs, like some that are pretty obscure. Um, but that started me on the on the road to um, stringed instruments. And eighth grade graduation, I got a twelve string as a as a a gift. Um, so I was kind of infatuated with twelve strings, I, I guess. And then, um, yeah. So and then was playing in groups in high school. You know, you do talent shows. You oh, there was a cousin Brucie, I mean, you're I, I know you're too young to know cousin Brucey, but he was a famous uh, radio DJ. So there'd be talent shows in the area, and then a group of us would you know we'd practice and and then go try out. And we we ended up. Um, doing pretty well, um, like getting, I don't know, getting a prize or auditioning for a marathon, I'm sorry, a telethon for a hospital and getting onto that, but, you know, going on at like two o'clock in the morning. So just kind of, you know, little gigs here and there. Um, and then bass playing came out of necessity because I was in a, uh, a group in New Jersey, not in, not inhaled in a, town not too far from there and we had like three guitar players i sometimes played keyboard um once in a while we'd have a drummer no bass player so it was just a lot of strumming one of the guitar players played lead and um i just um i i don't recall all the details but i i decided well maybe i'll I'll just take up bass and um and then I, I took lessons from a um, a place that was right in my town um, took lessons for about six months and then the teacher said go find a band um, you know just go find a band and um, so I I did <laughs> and then um, but actually another there was another group in the in the early eighties that formed and actually uh, some of the people were from that art school so you were talking about a bubble and you know when you go to art school you find a lot of musicians and and vice versa if you were to go to a uh, music school you'd probably find a lot of people also do art
0: yeah I agree with that Um, I definitely agree and like one well, it's interesting, like well, I, I, I play twelve string in my band, so I understand that twelve string okay. fascination. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um and maybe, you know, coming from a piano, you know, you're one string less of the, the three string strike, you know. So maybe that's so yeah. that chorus that chorusy or that bigger, lusher sound. I don't know. But um definitely bass players are always the most wanted. And that's interesting that he's like, Okay, yeah, I, join the it band. It was a good choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Wow. So, like, okay. So you're you're playing bass with this band, and then you jump into the Where and they were t- were they doing like the kind of the covery stuff, or were they they longing for the freeness?
1: It was a it was a mixture. There okay. wasn't quite the longing for the. I, there were a lot of. Not to stereotype, but there, and I I would assume it's sort of the same thing now. Mm-hmm. Um, you start out doing covers because a you're inspired by them you know you enjoy playing them you're playing the music that uh you maybe grew up with or that you're listening to um and and so you'd approach the band like okay we'll do covers and and then we'll do a couple originals so it was a way of sneaking in your original and when i said i was going to see bands and um you know kind of zoning in to the bass player and the drummer uh, so many bands did that and and I can just just about every band you'd see, you know, they play Springsteen, they um, you know do the the popular covers at the time and then they say now we're gonna do an original. Um, so there there were very few bands that I had seen that um did only their own type of music, um, but that that band. Um, so we we just we had a few gigs, and uh, but then the drummer realized, you know, we're we're probably not going to go anywhere. Um, well, well, he kind of I don't know. I, I think he yes he left as I was starting to take up the bass. So he you know he didn't even give it a chance really to. what happens if okay now we have drums and bass and and he was very talented and i'm you know good drummers are in demand so he probably had many other offers but but when that band fizzled then out of that out out of those ashes rose a band that what okay yeah we were still doing this new band did covers but then we also did our own music and then out of those ashes Came uh, uh, a trio and then a duo, and it was all our own music. So I yeah. I think you as you start to mature, well, and and this is not dissing any bands, any cover bands, because like you said, it is it is a talent to try to recreate something. Yeah. Um, but I think as you start to mature, you start to realize, you know, I don't I don't want to play just other people's music. And, and if i do other people's music i want to do it i want to be able i want the freedom to interpret it um you know coming through through my soul um so i think you reach a point you know some people reach a point where they decide yeah you know, it, it it's got to be um my own music or our own music
0: i definitely agree with that i I recently read this quote by uh, Kenny Warner, a pianist. Um, there's a cosmic bacon account that it seems like musicians like Miles Davis and uh, um, Monk have access to, and we're all drawing from that. And mm-hmm. his his turn was, "Well, I want to open my own bank account and draw from that same source they're drawn from." And I, uh-huh. you, you know, you know, because like, there's so much beauty within learning someone else's and being able to express like that, but there's also the, the beauty in with finding your own and um yeah with john and tony they said to, like their music and just their character they seem so welcoming and that like so eventually you're you're meeting up with them you're playing with the tripes um are the willies happening around that same time or are the willies just like a because from what john and tony were telling me there was a lot of shows that they would have where they would just rearrange members and <laughs> like,
1: yeah right right the story is that they would do it so that no one would have to, there wouldn't have to be a, a big um, changeover in between bands. Right. <laughs> so now that, now I don't know if that's just a kind of an in-joke or whether yes. that was really the driving force. But yeah, so kind of a, um, I think it might have been El Bruce who said, well, why don't we just open for ourselves? And that's how, I, that's how Young Wu came to be. So it was Young Woo opening for, I believe it would have been the tripes, and then and you know, I believe El saying, well, let's just call it Young Wu. Um, that just came out of nowhere. So yeah, at one point the all the members would kind of flow in and out of these various bands. Um so the, the Willies, I the Willies predated my my entrance into the tribes okay but then um and then and then so a lot of energy and focus went into the tribes like like i said there was this new lineup um so the other the other bands were kind of put on hold you know not nothing is nothing breaks up but all the and it's basically the same people and most of the same people anyway so um um so the, the willies were kind of on hold at that time, and the focus was on the tripes, and then putting out the explorer's hold. And so my my personal perspective was that I was now a tripe, and then I was asked to join Young Wu, and the willies. Um, so uh, actually backing up a little bit. So in 1983, the feelies played sporadically, um, with three drummers, so that would have been Anton, uh, Anton Fier, Dave Weckerman, and Stan Domeski. Um Because Anton was kind of in and out, and Stan was was a substitute for him. And then I, I believe, in all fairness, you know, not to push Stan out just because Anton was there. So I, um, the the plan was to have three drummers moving forward. Um, but it was very sporadic. Um, and then in August, so in 1983, the, um, the tripes were recording Explorer's Hole. So, so, you know, again, the focus was on the tripes and the feelies were not really, um, it, it was it was sporadic during that time.
0: And like, uh, from what I remember, that was, the goal was to get the, the get, um, get a single for the come on in. Uh, jukebox, right? Oh, uh, I'm not aware <laughs> of that. <laughs> okay. That's uh, uh, so, uh, um, Maxwell's? Um the uh, Tony and mm. I can't remember if it was John or Tony they were saying one of the goals for the early recording was to get 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 a single that they can put in a place called the Come On In. Um okay. which was wow. around the peanut gallery. But okay. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, so but that's cool that the like going out of the way to make it so every drummer had an outlet, you know, so everyone can mm-hmm. play. And yeah. so during that this time when you're it's bouncing from one thing to the next and everyone's supporting each other, because um, the feelies at that point, crazy, crazy, crazy rhythms was out and they were trying to move on from that or figure out what to do, right? So were you
1: Yeah. Okay. And then again they would get involved with um uh, with other projects like Bill and Glenn were doing soundtracks, just working in um right. and and uh they were actually working simultaneously uh at the at the time that Eno was doing exploring like that. So um many people think that, uh, you know that um, um trying to explain the um, like the electronic experimental um music that was that was now coming up um, that that influenced Bill and Glenn, but actually they were kind of discovering it at the same time as other people were. Uh, so those so there were those side side projects as well, um, which is you know so far removed from rock and roll or the the crazy rhythms album.
0: Right, right. Well, when you're when you're dabbling to expand further, you know, I mean, like, and that's already out there. I, I imagine you're going to find similar paths. Um, so, like, with this whole like yeah. kind of training ground of jumping through all these bands and kind of coming from like a, a more like kind of structured, we're doing covers and trying to do originals. By the time like you you guys, because by the time you get into the feelies, was it kind of like because that's got to be a little like intimidating in a way that like jumping of all these acts that are freely like playing and just harping on a note, you know, doing all this kind of experimental stuff. Like, was it easy? I guess my question is, was it easy to embrace that coming from a background of like learning songs and be like longing for that and being able to just jump right in? Or was that, that kind of a learning process being in all these different groups?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question that I don't think I've ever really thought about um there was so yes it was a challenge uh for instance when okay well let's just do a little um backstory so um so i joined young woo and the willies and then at one point i I remember bill saying well you know we're thinking of making the willies become the feelies what do you think about that and i said sure Um, so in the willies I was pretty much playing my own parts Um, I don't I don't know that I would have heard a tape of anything that was um, demoed or uh, practice tapes or anything so I was just coming up with my own thing I I believe so now that we were becoming the feelies then there is that what you just mentioned um, like okay now I've got to play somebody else's parts and that's so the the you know, having been in cover, cover bands, all right, that training, I guess, helped with that. Um, so in a way, that's inspiring, learning somebody else's part. It's a challenge because how, you know, um, how did Keith play it? Did he play it way up on the neck? Did he play it open strings? Um, so I'm just kind of learning by, and I remember spending a bit of time just uh you know putting the feelies record on and you know sitting cross-legged on the floor with my bass and figuring out the parts. Um so yeah it is it can be intimidating following someone. Um but then there were the newer the so the Willie songs were now becoming the feely songs. So those were my parts. So it was a real it was a real blend between the, you know, the skill of learning someone else's part and coming up with your own part. Right. So sometimes intimidating.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So then that, that change happens and you, you learn these parts and then like, when do you guys start writing Good Earth and the records that followed after, like, was it kind of immediate because of the experimenting and right playing with the willies and the already kind of having some of those ideas? Uh, yes okay
1: yeah so the, so the willies material um now becomes the feelies material and some of the material uh was being played um by the by the crazy rhythm rhythms group so the you know the quartet um they had started playing a form of slipping you know so those songs were starting to appear some of them before i joined And then some were being formulated after I joined. So there's sort of a a blend there of, of older songs, you know, post crazy rhythms, but well before the good earth. And then some that were, you know, coming out, um, not too, uh, not too far before the good earth.
0: And like, I, one one thing I, I read somewhere, or John told me, or it was from Tony. There, like that, there was some like recording, like kind of guidelines with the feelies. So like tracking, like there's no symbols or or something like it was. Is this a is this yeah. a true thing or is this a is this like a rumor thing?
1: <laughs> I I believe it's a true thing. Yeah. So, um, so if you listen to crazy rhythms, um, there aren't a lot of symbols or they, or, um, I believe sometimes they were done as an overdub. So basically when you have a lot of symbols, um, it's competing with the guitars, you know, just think of yeah. the frequencies. Um, and so, you know, I, I do kind of, I took, I do, do kind of get that. Um, so I guess, I guess you could say that the symbols the were discouraged. Okay. Um, but when I, you know, when, 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 when the willies became the feelies and it was, you know, Stan and Dave, Bill Glenn and me um, there, I don't believe there was as much discussion about symbols as maybe there had been with Anton. Okay. So It's one of, it's one of those rock and roll stories of <laughs> uh, you know, Anton not being able or allowed to play the symbols. I'm not, I'm not really sure about okay. that. But that—that that is the—that is the rock legend that they, that Bill and Glenn told uh, uh told Anton not to play the cymbals.
0: <laughs> That's awesome.
1: So that you know you you have to go to the source for that one, I think. So and yeah, and Anton un- unfortunately isn't with us.
0: Uh, yeah,
1: on Earth anymore.
0: Um. So as like you're as as you're in the feelies, like are you like, is this where your writing bug? starts to kind of take take hold like are you writing songs and riffs and bringing it to the group as like good earth and the next few records are coming out and you guys are playing more is that like or or is it just kind of like a group process
1: um that that varied um for the 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 good earth was very was very organic so i i would say that most of the song, like 99% of the parts just happened. You know, you just play together. Some some songs would come out of jams. Some were um, a little more formed, you know, definitely a blend. But then there were some songs like Slow Down. Um, Glenn had a very particular bass part and, and he just wanted one note, you know, just droning on a note. And then at a, at a very specific point, um leave that note go to another note and then go back so I, I remember you know being in Mixolydian's studio and um uh, going direct it wasn't even through an amp for uh slow down and then just like he'd kind of he'd point when it should go um to the next note so so you know yeah. so I, you know, I I get that like the, the vision was um it shouldn't be busy. The whole song should be kind of droning, right? right. And and it builds almost like an airplane trying to take off. Uh, there there's nothing that um, kind of pulls you away from this this drone, this uh, quarter, kind of a mild sonic boom.
0: Hmm. Well, that's like the the serving the song type that's yeah, the whole narrative yeah. of that and that's what a good bass player does, you know. Right. And um, um yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: so um, there there were there would be a song here and there where there was a specific um part in mind.
0: Okay. But on the other end, the you got to enter you got to come up with the own bits then, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So
1: like yeah. and working off a of stand, you know, a lot of it is is being driven from what um or driven by what Stan is doing.
0: Well, is it? Well, that's what I think. That's what makes the Feely's rhythm section so in, in, uh, encapsulating. Is is that? And like, um, so as you're okay. So with those next few records, because like, is there a point where like some of the wild carnation like writing like because. It's a big jump from well I guess I get a couple more It is <laughs> a couple more feely questions I have before kind of leaving that topic.
1: Well, the um the well while oh, okay sorry right you had a few more feelys questions.
0: Yeah. So like um okay so stuff starts taking off you guys you tour with Lou Reed and like mm-hmm. Lou Reed's notorious for not always enjoying his company but he he latches on to you guys and like what a what a what an inspiration of a writer to kind of be around. So, like, do you do you guys get to interact and in like, what are some kind of like, I guess, artist, musician, like, inspiration lessons from even being around? Because like, I don't, I don't know if he was like a, no. a talkative individual or he's just like, "You're on the tour, you're welcome." Um, you know what I mean? Like,
1: yeah we we entered we entered that with utmost respect of him. Yeah. Um, we're not the type of group that will, um, be, be assertive. There's a biblical passage of sitting at the head of the table. And then you might be told, you know, ask, why are you sitting here? You know, go to the other end of the table. But the person who sits at the far end of the table, um, the host will say, why are you sitting down there? Come sit next to me. Hmm. So we were more of the, we'll just sit at the other end of the table. Um, And I, I, I mean, I, I don't know, you know, personally what was going through his mind, but um, maybe we earned his respect because we respected him and gave him his space. Um, I I remember being told like, you know, don't look him in the eye, like just keep to yourself. Yeah. And um, I, I don't know. If they were, um, you know, just joking, or whether that was the the actual case, but I, I think um, yeah, I, I maybe maybe he just saw all right. This is the next generation, um, you know, on that on that velvet underground family tree. You know, the velvets are the the trunk, and maybe he saw us as a you know a, a branch coming off of that. Um what, what we it does predate that um, so it's kind of a long story but uh, to shorten it up um, we were asked to play at a the Feelys were asked to play at a radio station um, sorry I don't remember the the station it was out in Long Island and they were having a um, sort of a celebration at a at a club and the Feelies were asked to come and play a few songs. And Lou Reed ended up showing up and playing with us. So we did some velvet
2: yeah.
1: um, tunes. Now he didn't have to do that. It was, yeah. it was kind of a, almost like a dare or it was just a, well, we'll play if, if Lou Reed plays <laughs> and somehow the management got together, he thought it was a great idea. And then, you know, and there we were, okay, we're not just, you know, we're, we're playing for this, uh, radio station events and now we're playing um like sweet jane and a couple other songs with lou reed himself and you know i, I yeah. think we all, all almost passed out after that um and so he met us backstage and you know hello um i'm lou and uh, hello i'm brenda you know yeah it, it was so i i think um I I think he had a, or we, we had a connection to him. Um, well, okay. We definitely, you know, we definitely had a connection through that event and it was just amazing that he came through with that. I mean, he could have thought it could have, it could have backfired. Um, and so I think we were, you know, we were on in his radar and, um, and he chose us to, uh, to open for him. And actually um, we were offered to play to open for him in Europe, which would have been amazing. Like we were told after the fact that like if you had opened for him in Italy, you would be because they they worship him in in Italy, you would have you would have had it made because all of Italy would be feeling fans. But we weren't able to do it because we we already had our own tour booked mm. in Europe. Um, so it's just, it's just amazing to have gone from the East coast to the West coast, uh, opening up for him.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And like, uh, that's, that's so cool.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Got some nice memorabilia. I was going through my, sorting my memorabilia and, um, you know, just all the, the backstage passes, um, photo with him he came on and played with us, which, which is just amazing. I mean, an opening act
2: Yeah.
1: with, well, Pete, when we opened for REM, Pete Buck would come out um, from time to time and play a song with the feelies. Um, but that is, that's, um, that's almost unheard of the, yeah. you know, the, the build up to the, you know, the, the headliner and the headliner, you know, himself comes out and plays a song with us was just amazing and you know that was just so so good of him to do that
0: yeah and like was he like i mean was he mingling with you guys a little bit due to that or just musically he did his bit and like you know what i mean like
1: we 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 socialized him socialized with him some okay i mean we weren't you know we weren't party buddies or anything but i think he had a genuine interest and and would talk to us, he'd have a conversation, you know, we just engage you in a conversation, you'd be maybe passing in the hallway, and you're thinking, all right, I'll just, maybe just smile and and walk past, you know, give him his space, and he would reach out, and, and start a conversation.
0: Was he like, Um, uh, talking, writing music at all with you guys? Like, or was it just like, um, whatever? Yeah.
1: Whatever. You. Whatever. Just whatever an an event might be, or um, kind of you know small talk, or or talk about music. It it could really vary. And and um, uh, at a, at one of the recent band practices, we were talking about. Um, so we were invited to a party, but no one in the band remembers this party. So we're figuring, (laughs) and I do have an, like, I came across the invitation and we were thinking, well, maybe we were invited, but we couldn't go. Um, But yeah, but he did reach out to us and, and there's a, he had a conversation with, I believe it was with Dave and he said, oh, you should come out to my, you know, you guys should come out to my house and we can, we can swim, we can, Uh you know, swim in my pool. We never, we never did it. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, so... Uh. I,
0: saw, I saw that they put out a book. <laughs> Lou Reed. It's like Lou, Lou Reed and Tai Chi. Like, was he... Uh, apparently, he did that a lot on the road. Was that a thing? Like, you guys... Oh, I don't... Just, okay.
1: I don't know. I didn't
0: witness that. Okay. I
1: mean, you know. <laughs> I mean he probably would have done that in private in right. his own um, green room. But,
0: wow, what a, what a way to be like recognized by the the idols and as far as like people who made their own music scene and dived into it and like the just to be supported in that way that's like you know in a way with an artist like him especially someone who's so reserved and so renowned in so many ways like to to get the kind of approval musically is like i don't know how you top that <laughs> like yeah that was know.
1: definitely a, a highlight in in our lives
0: um yeah. I guess the other the other feelies question I had um was night of the living night of the living feelies. Right. <laughs> Whatever happened with that.
1: Uh there wasn't uh there wasn't the backing oh,
0: okay. that was needed. So
1: Jonathan Demi wanted to do a, a documentary on the Feelys um and he wanted to call it the night the night of the living feelies. There, there's a little um, segment on MTV where when, when we were filming the away video, um, Jonathan was interviewed, um, Glenn was interviewed. So it, it was like a, you know, a little five minute thing on on MTV back in the day. And Jonathan did mention, you know, I'd like to put out a a documentary on the feelies called The Night of the Living Feelies. And if there are any backers out there, let me know. Um, but. uh so he he did um he did stop making sense you know I, I guess you could you could say that he did stop making sense um rather than the night of the living feelies because there was more backing and i think that would be accurate or pretty accurate um so that was something that he wanted to do and then it just never got off the ground um and then you know obviously he went on to do a number of documentaries, that, you know, Talking Heads, Neil Young. Um, so uh,
0: yeah, films are it, like a whole nother. Like an album's like, is it is it an investment, but a film's like a whole nother. Yeah, yeah, like, right. It's like and, another and, monster of
1: an Right, and directors, you know, they're the creative element, but they have to work with with people who have money. And right, you know, one person has the vision, one person has the money, and you're not always going to be told yes.
0: Right. And, uh, and that's that's a whole nother art itself is how do you n- negotiate that? <laughs> like, <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. yeah. So the the away video is. Um, uh, is the night of the Li- living feelies. Um, condensed to one song. Um, so the, the yeah. movie was going to be people are kind of like zombies and then the music brings them to life.
2: I don't, I don't know, I don't yeah, know what his whole
1: vision yeah. was, but that was, that was the premise. And that's what happens in a way, you know, we're, we're playing, there are some people there, they're just kind of standing. And then the dance, so the dancing was supposed to get more and more, um, uh, frenzied. And so, so if you watch the video, you'll, you'll see, yeah, people just kind of in place and then they're tapping their feet and then they're just, you know, um, jumping around
0: so it's almost like almost kind of like a set almost like a an evening. yeah whip. exactly
1: yeah <laughs> it goes back to that theme of
0: yeah starting out mellow um, you don't you know
1: i don't know that i want to be blasted um <laughs> have music blasted at me at you know as soon as i um you know and en- enter a, um a venue
0: right um, yeah you gotta work your way into it um so so wild carnation is happy like the jump from one thing to the next because like mm-hmm. that tricycle is such an amazing record and like well, thank super bust, too like i i really really enjoyed getting the dive down um the rabbit holes mm-hmm. of each career and like so as that's a whole different type of writing though um yes and like yeah. so that kind of is going back to the the bob dylan joan Baez. uh singer songwriter roots with your guitar. So like yeah. how did how did right. this project come about? And were these songs like kind of laying around during Feely's times or
1: um so the Feelys uh I mean if, if the Feelies hadn't we I don't think we um officially called a breakup, but we did yeah, we did disband in um July of ninety one. Um we played our last show at Maxwell's and and then that was it till the reunion in 2008. So um, we just kind of went. We just laid low for a couple months, and then it became obvious that we, you know, we were not going to be coming back together as the Feelies. Um, so I I wasn't done with music. Um, you know, Stan moved on to Luna. So um, and Dave and Glenn formed uh, Wake Ulu, so we all moved on with our own projects, and that's sort of a natural thing. It's not it's not out of spite or anything. It's it's just sort of a practical thing. Like, okay, the Feelies aren't playing anymore, right? What do we do? Well, gee, I'd kind of like to write songs, and you know, so everyone continues to move on, but just um, you know, you just take a turn, and now you're moving in a different direction. Um, so Rich Barnes who a year after our first um, our first rehearsal um, became my husband um, he had he was writing so the, the material from tricycle goes back to the early 80s so this is before he was even listening to REM he was a he is and and was a um, big REM fan uh, so the Big difference between the feelies and Wild Carnation is totally different songwriters. Um, so there's the same bass player, um, different guitarist. Uh, it's one guitar, not two guitars. Um, Chris O'Donovan actually studied under Stan Domesky. So there is a, you know, there is a link there in the in the rhythm section. Um, so yeah it's kind of like another branch on a tree but this one is going you know there there will be some elements that are similar but then when you have a different songwriter um, it it's it you know it's going to be different and and so like you said the, the Bob Dylan Joan Baez aspect for me um this was something very new like collaborating with someone Um, Rich was very good at just sitting down, playing the guitar and just coming up with, with riffs and chords. That's, that's not my strength. Um, I, I just think of it as there are just too many chords to choose from. And so I, I did not write many songs on my own. I wrote some, but not many. Um, my strength was more finding a melody within chords. So it was it was a perfect um, match, actually, because um, I wouldn't have the stress of trying to come up with chords, but I can hear someone else's foundation and build from that. And lyric-wise, um, some of the songs just sounded like something, like, oh, this could be a song about a music box. This could be a song about childhood. And some of the songs wrote or some of the lyrics rose out of things that I'd written years before. I had you know notebook with things jotted down, some were some were complete, you know, verses, some were just ideas. Um, for instance, uh, if we move forward to the Superbus album, um, the song Bielefeld, uh, Coffee's Slow. We've got a long, long way to go. And that came out of just something that I had jotted down about the coffee's very slow today, or something like that. So that was something that I always wanted to use in a song. Um, or I would, or also I would go through the book and just look for something that might go with, um, uh, you know, a new song, pull, yeah. pulling different elements, and then sometimes having something that was um, pretty much formed.
0: um, yeah it's like those little song seeds those little scene setters right the coffee slow like that's that builds up a whole that can that starts like a whole narrative and if you have the the canvas the chords and the melody there it makes it so Mm -hmm. like now now that line has purpose and as like a songwriter it's like a different kind of headspace to be in because you're looking for those little those little song seeds those little nuggets of like setting or story or or narrative whatever it is you know um is that was a there's a can't remember the title of the song right now um there's one about a train that goes through new jersey oh
1: susquehanna 142 yeah that is so that um that was the summer that was july around july 4th the summer of 1992 so that that's um yeah that's something that's written about a particular event although Although I expanded on it, like okay, here's a steam train. Um, well, think about the history of street, uh, steam trains and what about the passenger? So it just kind of evoked something maybe more from the 1800s, uh, you know, steam steam rides, you know, passenger rides in the in the 1800s. So I, in my mind, I saw well Victorian men, you know, people dressed like the 1800s. Um, although this was a real train and still is a real train. It's now in Phillipsburg, New Jersey. Um, but it was a steam train that was built um, in China because China was the only country still making steam trains. And it, actually, the first train was shipped that was shipped over to the United States, uh, sunk in the Bay of Beijing. Cool. So they sent another train. Yeah, this <laughs> I, I looked up the history and I was like, yeah. whoa, this yes. is this is, this is, wow. Um, So the, they sent another train over. And so this steam train was going to be used for, um, you know, uh, excursions, just, you know, passenger, fun passenger rides. Um, And I believe it was in New York state first. And then, um, then it started to move around the country. So um, at that time I was living in Oakland, New Jersey, which is like, it's, two towns away from Heldon.
2: Okay.
1: Um, so in the, in the, in the Heldon area, but more um, a little more rural. And um, so actually it was Wild Carnation or what would become Wild Carnation people and some friends. And um, we were just having a, you know, a gathering for the 4th of July and the, you could hear the whistle in, it was incredibly loud and we heard the whistle and then we just went running down to the center of town um to watch the train uh Oakland is a fairly mountainous area not huge mountains but it is in the in the, a valley and so the sound of that train would just echo all over the place it was it was really awesome and we did we did take some uh I do have a picture or two from that day so um so yeah, it is a you know it, it is the Susquehanna one four two, and that track found yes. its found its way onto a, a train compilation. Yeah, um, a few years back.
0: <laughs> That's yeah. like it's interesting because like that um, tricycle super bus. There's this kind of like a line of transportation theme throughout yes. Wild carnation. So yes, it's, okay, so. Is that something you guys are fascinated? It sounds like it. It sounds like it. It
1: wasn't deliberate, but I think it is a natural thing to write about going somewhere Mm. or coming back home. Um, But the tricycle, um, the tricycle idea came from, uh, well, we were a trio and a tricycle has three wheels. So that was, that was inspiration for, um, you know for the the tricycle theme um but the the album is um it's a lot about childhood and childhood lost mm-hmm. um the music box like that's um, that's an actual music box that I had and I thought it actually ends happy unlike the song um I did find it it was in the attic yeah and it was intact and it's actually uh I have it now in my my room so it won't get lost again. Um, and it plays for release, uh, Beethoven's for release. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but you know, you can, you can have, um, artistic license and all right. Well, if you don't want something to end happy, you can always change the ending a little bit, you know, it can resonate differently then.
0: Well, yeah, well, for sure. And you can in almost maybe more in certain ways. Um, Mm -hmm. I guess Brenda, I really appreciate your time. I know we went over a little more okay. than I thought I thought we would. Um I guess one one qu- other question kind of on a different topic was food for friends, the German group. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How'd that come about in like
1: <laughs> Oh, uh well I was I was dating uh so the Feelys toured in um Europe many, many times. And um so I had a German boyfriend for uh, I'm not sure of the, of the period of time. Maybe, maybe a year or, or two. And so he he and a friend um, were were in a group. And so I was asked to um, put down parts for that.
0: Oh,
1: okay. Wow. So how did you dig that up? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I do my research. Uh, I do actually, a... <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I um,
1: my hat's off to you. Yes, you did your research. I be, well it, um, and there was a, there was also a group um so after the Phillies, um whatever you know um stopped playing um I was working uh at Steve Fallon's store in in Hoboken uh, called handmade um so he you know he was really kind in offering me a job cuz you know I was now unemployed um and um, but it was really fun working there. And I met some really, really nice people. And one of them, um, she's living in New York City still, um, Patty Shaw. And um, so we we hooked, we met each other through Steve Fallon. And we started playing together. And she's a song, you know, singer-songwriter with a really, really good voice. Um, so we were a duo, guitar and bass. And I sang... Um, I sang backup vocals and we, we played here and there, um, not too many shows. Um, I would say that was maybe, uh, well, that would have been under a year. And then we just kind of went our, our different ways that like, that was, then I, um, while Carnation formed. So it was sort of, you know, it was a mutual, um, drifting
0: yeah was that kind of like a step for like getting because like coming like the vocally kind of being up front you know what i mean because that's a that's another type of like the sing singing's so vulnerable in a way and like as a bass player it's hard i i have trouble back up singing and playing bass but like as mm-hmm. guitar it's a little different was that like kind of right. maybe retrospectively like a, a kind of a, a comforting like step towards leading a group vocally I, I don't know you know
1: I didn't see it as a step I was very happy to sing like what I what I enjoy most is singing harmony um okay. I don't feel like a lead singer I w- I was I didn't grow up as a Taylor Swift or <laughs> um or or a, a Joan Baez. I would rather be the the person who makes up harmony um that that's just what fills my soul more
2: yeah
1: so I'm kind of a I when I join the um Chris and Rich I I, I'm not sure that I even knew I was going to be the lead singer when I when I came to that first rehearsal um there could have been like a well who's gonna sing and then you know well you or something like that um I mean as much as I liked um this new chapter of life writing songs I didn't really I just wasn't sure if I should be the one who would be singing them. Um, So with Patty, it was, it was very, yeah, it was very comfortable. Um, Just, you know, let her use her talented voice and, um, and writing skills. And I would just put my, you know, my parts to hers. Um, So we, we do have a tape. Um, You should digitize it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Maybe um so yeah because kind of the process of of the remaster for a uh, tricycle and there's a whole there, there's a whole live concert on the back of it and all yeah these, like yeah so like maybe it's like that, a, yeah. maybe digging for if you do redo Superbus <laughs> that could be in there. Well,
1: actually, yes, Superbus is in the process of being yeah. remastered and released on vinyl. That will be in the fall. Very cool. So the two projects were kind of you know like we it's been almost. Well, it's been more than two decades of nothing really happening with the albums. Well, well, specifically Tricycle in almost two decades with Superbus. And then suddenly um, there were two record companies interested. And and then the two. So um, so Tricycle obviously is on Delmore. Um, Superbus will be on Pine Hill hmm. Records, which is um, based in New England. Um, And the projects were kind of neck and neck. Um, And the the connection to Pine Hill was that the, uh, um, the owner came to a feely show um, at the colony in Woodstock. And we, you know, we have a merch table and the Wild Carnation CDs are are there for sale. And he bought both of them and he was, he was blown away and really wanted to put, put them out. Um, But we, we ended up, um, going with Delmore, our original record company mm. for Tricycle. and um, and so Superbus will be coming out on Pine Hill.
0: Oh, that's so cool. Yeah.
1: So, our- and we did like we, we wanted to space it out, yeah, so that they wouldn't be competing against each other. It just didn't seem like a like the right thing to do. Um, so if you'd like to talk about Superball Superbus in the fall, um
0: Yeah, let's just let sure. me know. <laughs> yeah, let's definitely do it. Yeah, we'll dive in deep on that one. Um uh, so also also gonna have like the bonus stuff and concerts with it or is it just a re-release? Uh, of the
1: not not sure at this okay. point. Okay. Uh, but getting back to tricycle, yeah. The um the show was we, we did a tour of Germany in nineteen ninety seven. Um, so luckily the the sound person um, put in a tape and recorded in uh, Hamburg. Uh, Knust was the club in Hamburg so that's the I think as far as we know that's the only live recording from Germany um, so that was remastered Yeah. because um, the recording was just way too much vocal um, so it was remastered as much as could be done to draw the guitar out. Right. It's it's just what happens with the line rec- a live line recording at a concert.
0: Yeah, the rooms uh, but you really can really high, but... you can yeah, yeah,
1: and that's a little like that's a little unnerving, but it's, it's okay. I'm okay with it. <laughs> um so it does sound better than the original um tape that we had. Um but uh but the energy from that show is really really cool. what I love is that you can feel and hear the energy is kind of like a feelie show in that respect yeah you know, things get faster and faster and <clears throat> yeah just a lot of energy and then there are also the demos so be, before we went to mixolydian studios to record tricycle we had demoed everything on a home um reel to reel and i and i love the i love the warmth of those demos and i love the feel There's just this really, really cool feel about the demos. Um, You know, I I can't even say that they're raw because so much was worked out already. And and a lot of the songs Rich had written a decade before that. So they were pretty much, you know, fleshed out before we, I mean, they were very fleshed out before we went into the actual studio.
0: I definitely, Um, like like, listening through, I definitely agree with that. And it's like, It's, it's, there's, you know, there's some extra, extra part, like the, the trimmings was there on the, uh, on the, on the, the studio cuts of it, but like, yeah, like it was all there and I I guess sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Um, Yeah.
1: um, Yeah. So when, when we were listening to the, the demos, um, so we, we got a, um, our download um, code and we, so we were listening to everything now remastered and digitized as far as the bonus tracks yeah and i was listening expecting to hear like in the demos expecting to hear oh you know it's good like uh, it could have been better or you know that there that there might i might not like it yeah a lot or there might be something that i felt was you know could have been better and listening back i'm when so listening to it i was I was really happy, like it really, I get
2: really
1: I was really happy with it and felt very content with with hearing those. So that so that was a great, you know, it was a great feeling to not be disappointed but be feel inspired um, you know, listening to the demos.
0: And well that's that's like the kind of like we were on to something. You know, what I mean that that's the success. Of, of, of a band of a song where you can listen to any of your recordings, especially the demos and be like, I dig that. Mm. Okay. We, yeah. we, we were cool. Yeah. We were, you, Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it was okay. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, that's awesome.
1: So, so we hope to start, well, the, you know, the pandemic really, um, we, we were supposed, while well, Carnation was supposed to play March 13th of 2020. And that was literally the day that everything yeah. shut down in New <laughs> Jersey. Um, our son we had to go pick up our instead of going to play a show in new jersey on the 13th we were picking up our son from college to bring him home because everything was shutting down
2: yeah
1: um so that was just an unbelievable time yeah. of of expecting one thing and then and then okay there's going to be no show so the last time we played would have been sometime in in 20 well, actually, uh, 20, yeah, 2019. Um, and uh, the, like the summer, I think the summer of 2019 was the last time that we played. Um, so we're trying to get shows going again and um, get out there and start playing again.
0: Is there anything on the books? Or is it- right now, the
1: only official thing is um, on April 29th, we're um, playing at Jack's Records in Red Bank, New Jersey. It's an acoustic set, about okay. half an hour long. Very um, cool. Yeah, we couldn't play on record day because the Feelies had these gigs, so uh, mm. so we opted for the uh, for the the following weekend.
0: Oh, okay, that's right. This was record yeah. store weekend. I forgot about that. Right. <laughs> Yesterday was the record store day. Yeah. Did, uh, did the Feelies uh, have anything out for record store uh, day?
1: Nothing special. Okay. No.
0: Okay. No,
1: just oh yeah. But we did, well, actually, Newberry Comics in Boston. Well, maybe they're in Cambridge. I'm not sure. Well, the Boston area.
2: Yeah.
1: uh, We signed a bunch of, um, so there was a a special pressing of um, Crazy Rhythms and um, The Good Earth on a kind of a a multicolored vinyl. Yeah. Um, So they were selling those on Record Store Day. uh, But those are those weren't just released on record store. They, they were from, um, a little while back.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. My bass player is going to be mad at me because I usually run around for him on record store day, all the places he can't go. All right. Wonderful.
1: Okay. Thanks so much.
0: Thank you. You have a good one. You too. Bye now. Bye.
2: Spike Spiegel here. You just listened to Zig at the Gig Podcast. Keep riding the bebop. See you, Space Cowboy. Bang.